Good morning. How was everybody? Good. Good. Let's open up in prayer to start with. So, Father God, we thank you this morning that your word is just. Father, that your word is perfect, that your word is holy. Father, that your word is the thing that pierces us to the deepest parts of our soul. That, Father, it is the thing that leads us into all paths of righteousness. So, Father, I pray this morning, Father, that you would use me as a vessel, Father, that it would be clear in your way, Father, what it is that's trying to be said. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, we've been on this topic in Hebrews, talking about the different doctrines of the faith. And this morning, I get to talk about eternal judgment. Let's say, yeah, everybody's just like, Whew. So, we're going we're gonna to do a flyover real quick, okay? So, eternal judgment, and then we'll wrap up and we'll go home. Genesis to Revelation, okay? And there are two judgments... One being the mercy seat judgment, which is the one that believers will be a part of. And there is also one called the great white throne judgment, which will be for all the wicked. And that's as far as I'm going to go with talking about those judgments. Because we could be here all day and all night and the next day and the next day and the next day talking about that particular element of eternal judgment. But what I want you to get today is to see eternal judgment from a different point of view. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 6, which is where we've been getting this from, the doctrines of the faith. We're going to hang out here for just a second and get mine open too. I got it marked. But If you remember a couple of weeks back when when I was singing on the stage, I had... I used the scripture and I said that these things were tied together. That, that Paul, we don't, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, let me preface that first, but it certainly has a lot of language that's consistent with what Paul would have said in other books of the Bible. So having said that, Paul was this, this person that was a great admonisher of people who like to chase after the world. Because he was talking to a lot of churches that like to do things from a carnal standpoint And this is no different. When we start talking about Hebrews chapter 6, we're talking about people who lack spiritual maturity. So in the context of spiritual maturity, I want you to think about how we start moving towards eternal judgment. And what that means towards how you see eternal judgment. So starting in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1, it says, So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds, placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, which I'm telling you, he is willing for each and every one of us to move past the elementary teachings. We should be past it. If you say you believe in Christ and you are walking with Christ the way you're supposed to walk with Christ, we should be past these elementary teachings. That's what Paul's saying. He's admonishing this church or he's admonishing the people by saying, we need to be past all this. So it says, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. 
And here's the kicker. I'm going to go into this verse that nobody likes to talk about. And we're going to go forward a little bit more. Verse 4, it says, For it is impossible. Now think about this in the context of spiritual immaturity. It says, For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened. Those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit. Who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come. And who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. When the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it is useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. Now, I want you to understand something. This scripture has nothing to do with you losing your salvation. Because if you truly are walking with Christ, it's what he gave you. But what this scripture does say is it says that if you choose to chase after worldly things, after having seen and tasted and heard, understand what I'm saying? Because it is, ne- it is necessary that you move from spiritual immaturity. Because you're saying that Christ can't do it in you if you don't. So when this scripture says that they are nailing him to the cross all over again, he's talking to the people who are literally saying, people who do not grow in their faith. He's saying, you agree that Jesus Christ should have been nailed to the cross. Right? That's what we're saying because we don't believe that when Jesus came and spoke the truth, that what he was saying was truth. So because we go chase after the world, we are nailing him to the cross. Does that make sense? And then it goes on and it says, but if the ground soaks up the fallen rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it is useless because the farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. In other versions, it says the field is almost cursed. So what that means is that if you belong to Christ and you truly belong to him, and that field is producing thorns and thistles, he's going to burn the field. He's going to burn it. So I want you to understand, we're not talking about, this is how you get a proper perspective on eternal judgment. Because if you're walking with Christ the way you're supposed to be walking, you will not be focusing on that side of it because you'll be looking towards heaven. But God will take those who do not become spiritually mature and he will burn the field. And what happens when we burn a field? Does it render the field useless? Yes or no? No, it produces it. So it it prepares that field so that that field can produce a better harvest. Right? So if you are someone who is walking in spiritual immaturity, and you don't know that you are, just ask God. Just ask him. He'll tell you. If you are someone who chooses the things of the world over the things of God, ask him to change it in your life. Because we should all agree that we say we follow Christ. We should all agree that the truth of Christ is all there is. That's it. 
You can't make it what you want to make it. So let me give you a couple of humorous, just humorous examples. And these, these are not meant. It's humorous because you'll, you'll hear them and you've heard them before. Those of you that have heard these things. But it's a, it's a much deeper problem. You ever heard anybody say, well, I punched my ticket, I'm in. See, I heard a little couple laughs, right? Because you've heard that. You said, I punched my ticket, I'm in. Let me tell you something. If you are somebody who is living your life and you have said, I have punched my ticket, I'm into heaven. It doesn't matter how I live after that. You are not saved. You are not saved. I will say that with 100% certainty and I will stand beside what God says to me. Because if that's where you sit, you are not saved by the Spirit of God. Period. Number two. I bet when we get to heaven, we're going to walk through those pearly gates and we're going to greet St. Peter and he's going to take us around. That is not how that works. If that is where our spiritual maturity is at, and I know these things I'm saying are kind of humorous, but like I said, I'm going to tell you about where the deeper rooted problem lies. The third one is, is that when somebody dies, you hear the person say, well, heaven got another angel. And I know I may have offended some people when I just said that. But I'm here to tell you today that if that's the language we have of someone who belongs to Jesus Christ, it's got to stop. It has to stop because it's not funny. Our walk with Christ is to purify us. It is to lead us in the paths of righteousness to heaven so that we think of things that are heavenly, not of things that are of the world. So if you are walking in that fashion, and this is the level, so we said humorous, right? Now, what's the deeper rooted problem there? The deeper rooted problem with that is you choose things of the world rather than the things that will bring you to maturity. And when you choose those things, then you are going to lose clearly beyond a shadow of a doubt how you see eternal judgment. Because when you are walking on a path that is crooked, understand what I'm saying. When you walk on a path that is crooked and is not following Christ, judgment just goes out the window for you, right? Because you're doing anything you want to do. You don't think about justice at all. You don't think about the Lord's perfect justice in his truth. But you will suffer the consequences. Listen, you will suffer the consequences of the choices that you make for chasing after those worldly things and having a lack of spiritual maturity. So simply stated, this is what I want you to understand today. Because I told you we weren't going all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And we weren't going to talk about the great white throne and the mercy seat. Because all of those things are incorporated in what I'm about to say. It says our understanding, our understanding of eternal judgment is predicated directly by your understanding of your salvation. Hear what I'm saying. Your understanding of eternal judgment is predicated by your understanding of your salvation. If you think all it is is punching a ticket and getting in, I I mean, it is what it is. 
Your, your view of eternal judgment is going to be skewed. Without a shadow of a doubt, it will be skewed entirely. And that is how your life will be walked out. And you will be lost. You may have gotten the foundation because you may have believed in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But did you truly believe it? Did you truly believe it? So where all this is concerned, there has to be a starting point. There has to be a starting point of some place for us to have that proper understanding of eternal judgment. So if you have your Bibles again, I'm going to flip around a little bit today. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Love this chapter. Love it, love it, love it. I'm going to make a few points out of this chapter today. And I want to preface this for you. So Isaiah, understand, Isaiah would not have been a very popular person during this time. He just, he just wouldn't have been. Because he was saying things that people didn't want to hear. But in chapter 6, starting in verse 1, I want to read this for you. It says, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. Can you imagine? With two wings that covered their faces and with two that covered their feet and with two and with the other two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now imagine you sitting in that place, in that throne room, and it says their voices were so loud that it shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. And Isaiah had the proper response. Did he not? In the next verse it said, it is all over. I am doomed. But he, he saw this vision and he says, it's over. I'm doomed. I'm hopeless. Right? And then it says, I have filthy lips and I'm a sinful man. I have lived among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. That had to be a terrifying sight. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. What I want you to get by this verse, it's like it's real quick. We're going to kind of just talk about it in a, in a scenario. He walks into this throne room right in this vision and he sees God. Jesus sitting on the throne with his train out, smoke filling, loud voices with angels worshiping, and he realizes immediately he's a dead man. Now, when we came to Christ, did you realize you were a dead man or a dead woman? Because that's what it's supposed to be. He was terrified. But I want you to understand that right away, it was like that quick, he went from being terrified to be impurified. Just like that. He went from fear and trembling. To being purified. And I also want you to understand something else. Isaiah didn't walk over to the fire. To get his own coal out. To wipe it on his lips. 
it was brought to him as a gift. And here's, here's the next part. Verse 8, this is immediately after he was forgiven and purified. Isaiah said, then I heard the Lord asking. He, he immediately heard the voice of God as soon as he was purified. So let me tell you, I love all of you and it's happened in my own life because I've had to live it out. There is no excuse. There is absolutely no excuse that when we come to salvation, it says it right here. Here is the example. He was terrified and then he was purified and then he heard God speaking. This doesn't say that Isaiah ran out of the throne room after he was purified. It says he sat there and listened to what God was telling him. Do you know what God told Isaiah? He said, you're going to go speak to those people over there and they're not going to listen to you. They're going to hate your guts. They're going to throw things at you. They're going to do all this stuff. They're going to treat you with contempt. Now, God didn't tell him that before he said, hey, Lord, here I am. I'm ready to go. I just was terrified as a dead man. As a dead man, he said, and I was brought to life, and I said, I heard your voice, and I was willing to follow. So the things that come after that point, listen, the things that come after that point are irrelevant to your view of eternal judgment. It's what you saw there that gives you the perspective of hope that you need to make it through when the people don't like you. Or when things that are bad happen in your life. Or when something doesn't go the way you want it to. Or your marriage is suffering. Those things are taken care of because you chose to follow God. Not because as soon as you were purified, you ran back outside the throne room and picked up your old life. And decided to not go do what God told you to do. I guess there wouldn't have been a whole lot done if Isaiah would have left out of the throne room in that vision and he wouldn't have gone to the people and said, hey, God's getting ready to put y'all in slavery. There's no excuse for it. We have the Holy Spirit who speaks to us inside. That is how important it is to your understanding of eternal judgment. And that is where we should always always begin with our understanding of what eternal judgment is. That feeling, right? That feeling where you came face to face with God and you died a dead man and you arose to life again because God loved you and brought you back to life. That you were so committed to learning what he had to give you that you decided to do it regardless of what kind of hand life dealt you. That gives you a proper perspective of eternal judgment. But as I said, there also has to be a starting point, there has to be a middle, and there has to be an end. Right? And I said earlier that hopelessness has to lead to hope. That's an important point that I want you to remember. But I also want you to understand, as I said previously, that if you're okay with chasing things of the world, 
And that's just where you stand. If that's what you enjoy doing because you like that reward better than what Christ has for you, I'm telling you, you're not saved. Because your mind should be done in such a way that it starts to form the image of Christ or the mind of Christ that you feel that conviction on the inside. You don't want your field to be burned up all the time because you chose to do things that were opposed to God. So having said that, I want us to turn. This is our middle, middle road. I want us to turn to John chapter 5. This is a very interesting round of scripture. Um, pretty much all red letter. So that means that Jesus is sitting there having a conversation with the religious leaders. And he's uh, just laying it out to them how it is. We're going to start really with the, the brunt of the, the scriptures in verse 19. But I want to back up to verse 18 for a minute. Now what was happening was Jesus was working on the Sabbath. Okay. Just so you get a perspective of that. And in the Jewish law that was entirely against the law for anyone to do anything on the sabbath so in verse 18 it says the jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill jesus for he not only broke the sabbath he called god his father thereby making himself equal with god it's interesting that the people who had the truth laid out before them still understood the concept in the jewish culture that the son usually mimicked the father, right? Because in the Jewish culture, what they would do is if your father was a blacksmith, you became a blacksmith. You kind of talked like your father. You walked like your father. You did what your father did. And that's what this is saying. So they're, they're literally saying that when he called himself the son of God, he was making himself equal with God. So they were recognizing it, but they didn't believe it was him. Okay? That's what happens to us when we choose to chase after the things that are carnal to this world. So then Jesus explained in verse 19, he says, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and he shows him everything he is doing. In fact... The Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. For just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. In addition, the Father judges no one. Instead, he has given, listen very carefully, instead he has given the Son absolute authority to judge. So that everyone will honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. And anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. And you're like, Frankie, what does all that mean? So let me tell you what it means. You got a father who owns a business. Okay? Big business. So he takes his son. He teaches him how to do every aspect of the business. That means he stuck his son in the mail room and then he stuck his son down on this part of the, the avenue and then he stuck him over here on the floor. He stuck him in the paint room. He stuck him everywhere and he learned everything. And then in the office one day, he looks at him and he says, son, you're in charge. 
So then the son walks out on the factory floor where all the workers are. And he comes out and he starts telling them, these are the things that I want you to do. And then what do the workers do? They look at him and they say, who are you? He said, you're not your daddy. And he says, but my daddy is the one who sent me to tell you what to do. Well, we're not listening to you because you're not your daddy. And then you have chaos on the floor, right? Now, I want you to think about what that looks like inside of your life. Is that not what we do? Is it not what we do? When we choose the things of the world over the things of Christ, do we not, as the verse says, dishonor the Father when we dishonor the Son? It just, this is not my words. And I'm, what I'm trying to get across here to you is that by following in this path, by honoring the Son, by listening to what the Son is saying, is that your focus on eternal judgment, it's, your eternal security is secure. All you have to do is that you, you start walking in spiritual maturity. And I promise you, listen to what I'm telling you, is because God promised you, you will drop the things of the world. You will start looking up. You will focus on those things. I'm telling you from my own walk. Listen. I have, the last two years of my life, it's been terrible. Absolutely terrible. And I had to learn through those things as well that God was still right there. And that if I applied the things that I have learned in walking with Christ, those circumstances meant nothing. If I chose something of the world to ease my pain rather than focusing on Christ to ease your pain, you will start looking at the world rather than looking at Jesus. And I'm telling you, it's, it can happen in all of our lives. We can go through periods like this, like a roller coaster, and we can go up and down and up and down. But the fact of going up and down means that you always come back to a place of repentance. If you're someone who has just said, yeah, I'm good. I love what the world does for me. I love going and trying to chase after this power. And I want to get wealthier. And I want to do all of these things. And those things become more important than your walk with Christ. You will lose your perspective on eternal judgment. Because you have completely lost that God is a perfect judge. And you will suffer the consequences in this life. You may escape. You may get through the burning building, but you are going to suffer the consequences in this life. Verse 24, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. Believe in this verse, just like anywhere else. It has two meanings in the Greek. In this context, it has to do with putting your faith in and upon God for your salvation. That means God is the only one that can do it for you. Remember when I said Isaiah didn't walk into the fire to get his own coal? His coal the coal was brought to him as a gift to purify his lips, right? That's what he's saying. I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins 
but they have already passed from death into life. That's a, that's a super promise. Now, what's the other side of that belief? The other side of that belief is where we've been talking about if you really think you are, but you aren't, right? Or we rather would chase the things of the world rather than the things of God. It's like James said when he said, well, even the demons believe. The demons know the scripture too. Satan knows the scripture better than you do. Because he used it to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. Now, was Satan using that belief in the word to help Jesus bring his kingdom? Or was he using it for his own self-serving purposes to try to build his own kingdom? I think it was the latter, right? So what are we doing? What are we doing? When we choose to chase after those things that don't have heavenly connotation to them or that aren't holy and aren't pure, what are we doing? We're doing the same thing because we will take those truths of God and we will twist them and we will bend them and we will turn them into all kinds of different things that we want them to say just to justify how we want to live. And it's your choice. God gives you a choice. You can choose to live just how you want. But I promise you, if you belong to him, he said, he'll burn that field. So one way or the other, it's coming. He'll correct it. Praise God he does, right? If he corrects you, he loves you. So I pray that he does if you're in that place. I pray that he uses his kindness to bring you to repentance. Because I pray for that same thing in my life. If I'm in that place, I want it to come. I want my field burned because I want it to grow. I want it to grow fruit. I want it to grow grain. I want to be able to walk with the Lord and quit worrying about all of those things that drag me down. Verse 25, and I assure you that the time is coming. So Jesus said that a time is coming. And then indeed it's here now. Two different things that Jesus said here. He said, when the dead will hear my voice. The voice of the Son of God. And those who listen will live. Who in here believes that you should have seen or should have heard the voice of God when you were saved? Come on. You don't believe it if you didn't raise your hand? Okay. That is exactly the picture that I showed you from Isaiah. It is clear. When you are marked with the Holy Spirit you will hear the voice of God. Period. However he chooses to talk to you is between you and him. But you're going to hear it. Because conviction is one of the evidences that you were actually saved. Now guess what the other evidence is? Obedience. So listen very carefully. I'm not going to sit up here and tell you that we're not going to have an argument about, well, that's works, Frankie. That's, that's working for your salvation. No, it's not. When you're saved, you want to walk with Christ. It's Listen, that, that, we're not going to argue about any of that part of it. When you are saved, you want to walk with Christ. That's it. Period. Because he's in charge. So, when you hear his voice, and, I, and I'm pretty sure, you know, I've always... I look at that when, you know, you hear the hospice nurses when somebody's passing away and they tell you there's something that always happens right there. Nobody looks upon the face of God and 
that survives. Well, that's a principle. So that goes spiritually as well. This thing says, I assure you that the time is coming and it's here now when the dead will hear my voice and they will, they will listen and they will live. If you come face to face with God, which is at the moment of your salvation, you will die. You will die because no person has ever looked upon the face of God and lived. Moses didn't see God's face. Moses had to see his backside and he was veiled after that because he was shining all over the place just from looking at his backside. If you come into the presence of God like that, you will die. No questions asked. And then he will bring you back to life. So the problem is, is that when we chase after things of the world, we are constantly trying to figure out how to earn heaven instead of trying to figure out how to long to see Jesus. Do you hear what I'm telling you? We spend more time trying to figure out how to earn it because our view of eternal judgment is so skewed that what we should be doing is focusing on longing to see Christ. That's what your walk should look like. I'm going to tell you how it looks. It's just like this. You come to salvation, you're a baby in Christ. And this scripture that we read and we've been going over for the last several weeks says that you're going to learn those elementary things and then you should move on from them. Period. Past them. Done. You should know them. That's why we have discipleship. That's why we have all these things. So that you know those principles. So then you're walking along holding Jesus' hand. If you turn his hand loose, you're going to go live like you want to live. But you walk a little bit, and what happens? You start realizing that that thing that you thought was important over here is no longer important to you. I see it in my own life. You know, some people call that a midlife crisis. It's not a midlife crisis. You realize that you're, you've lost these things over here. You don't care about them anymore. You know, that's why you go buy yourself a sports car and drive it around. Because you're trying to hold on to that last little bit that Jesus is trying to kill. That's, that's how the walk should look. It should look like, yep, I got some things in the world. Christ is changing my mind the way I think. And then you go, oh, I didn't believe I even dropped that. I didn't even see that I left that behind. What is that dead thing behind me? And then you walk a little further and you go, whoa, what's that dead thing behind me? And you do that until the day that the next verse says. Then he says, don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's son. And they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. That's that mercy seat judgment in the great white throne that I'm talking about. That's that separation of the sheep and the goats that you hear when you read the Bible. If you're someone who has heard the voice of God in this life, then by virtue of your death and your resurrection to life, it should put you on a path to follow Christ. Period. There's, there's no other way to say it. That's what it should do. 
Because that's the type of power that is in a person being brought from the dead. That is what makes us not want to go after the things of the world. Because we all love them. We all love them. Because we've all chosen them over Christ at times. But that's not the life that he has for us. That's why when he's saying, do what the son says, because the son is the one that can judge you. He's not telling you, barking a bunch of orders at you. He's telling you that he knows what's best for you. He's telling you in the moment of losing someone that's very valuable and dear to you in this world, that he has the peace for you. By listening to the things that he says, by following his judgments, by following his commands, not because you're trying to keep a list of ticks, but because you had a moment like Isaiah when he was in the throne room and he was terrified when he heard the angels saying, holy, holy, holy. And then he got his lips burned and he realized, wait a minute, I'm, I've, I have righteousness now. How many of you walk around and go, I am righteous in Christ? I am righteous in Christ. You're not righteous under your own. So when you're raised from the dead, when he calls your voice, which is that last eternal judgment, don't we want to hear Christ say, well done, my good and faithful servant? That, that's that moment where Isaiah went out. He heard the voice of God and he didn't care what God had for him to do. He said, here I am. I'm going. And he went. Does that mean that Isaiah didn't suffer hardships and all kinds of stuff and wish he didn't, you know, wish he'd have run out of the throne room at some point? No, he probably did. But he started with that moment and it gave him a perspective that was different than a lot of people have. So I'm here to tell you today. Is that God, this God that we're talking about, even the one that Isaiah was trembling when he walked into the throne room and he realized he was purified by this coal. That God is full of grace and mercy. Full of it. And I'm not sitting here telling you, I'm, I'm telling you all ago when I said, if you're somebody who said, well, I punched my ticket to heaven and it's okay. I'm just telling you your maturity level and your, what you believe of truly of Christ in heaven is, is distorted. There, there's no question about it. Because God is not here to hide those things from you. He's not hiding them. If you want them, he is going to reveal them to you. So that becomes a choice on your part as to whether or not you want to chase after the things of the world rather than chasing after the things of Christ. Because I'm here to tell you in his grace and his mercy, if you decide to drop those things, he'll be right there waiting on you. He'll be right there to restore you. He'll be right there to show you what that conviction looks like again. And he'll be there to wrap his arms around you in kindness. Because that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that his kindness leads man to repentance. So eternal judgment is a topic where people think, you know, hellfire and brimstones, things falling out of the sky and all that kind of stuff. That's why I said, I'd love to teach that one day. I'd love to sit aside and talk about the different judgments that we stand before and and all the things that go along with that in the scripture 
But I think today is important to talk about that path that we need to be on that keeps us from hearing those things. That's good. She had John 5 going. <laughs> it's good. I like it. I could have had, a, could have had an audio scripture. But, but really, it's for us to be in that place. Because it's, you know, and I, I wasn't going to bring this up and I'll end with this, but it's kind of like, you know, most of you familiar with, you know, Noah's flood. Well, you know, Noah was looked at as a fool. Because Noah was preaching the word at that particular moment would have been the gospel. He was preaching it. There was a judgment coming. Something's coming. And he was preaching to these people and they were running around laughing at him and skulking at him and living the way they wanted to live. And in doing so, those people entirely lose the perspective of anything that could happen to them. And I think that happens even in a believer's life sometimes if we let ourselves get to a place where we've chosen to go follow those things of the world more than we follow the things of Christ. We just lose, we lose touch with, we lose touch with judgment. We don't believe it's going to happen. We don't believe Jesus is coming. We don't spend enough time looking at the things of heaven as Paul told us to do. That's the whole point of this walk. The whole point of this walk is that we're not living here. We're, all, we're alive. We're, we're not living in this world. This world is dead. This world is dead. We're supposed to be looking at things beyond this world. And if that's how we focus, you will never have to worry about what your perspective is on eternal judgment because you understand every single one of those elements that's in Hebrews chapter 6. You understand every one of them. And you realize what your judgment is. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I, I hope to hear that one day. You hear that term hope? Isaiah was hopeless for a brief moment there, wasn't he? And then he had hope. Then we walk through life and we feel hopeless. There ain't but one hope. That's the hope of Jesus Christ. So, Father God, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that... Um, your word is like a two-edged sword, Father, that it, that it pierces to the deepest places and it goes in smooth, Father. It has honey on it. And Father, when it comes out, it doesn't leave a hole that you can't repair. So Father, I thank you that you gave us your son, Father, that with your son and the seriousness in all of this is that we are to live our lives holy as you are holy. And Father, the only way we can do that is to listen to the Son that you sent. Father, to, to listen to His righteousness. Father, to listen to His truth. Help us apply that in all of our lives. Father, help us to, to hear it. Hear it clearly. I'm asking today, Father, that those that don't hear, that Father, they hear you clearly. They hear you clearly, Father. They can hear your voice and they know it's you. In Jesus' name, amen.